Hallelujah. He is risen. And that is why we are celebrating on this Resurrection Sunday. You know, I was wondering, does anyone happen to own a cross? Maybe like a cross necklace or even a cross bracelet or maybe a shirt that has the cross with the word faith. I know I own one of those. And I've always thought that if you didn't really want to give out a bunny or chocolate or something like that for Easter, a cross would make a great gift. So whether you received one today or whether you've been wearing a cross necklace or a cross bracelet or something with a cross on it for years, have you ever thought about what the cross really is? Originally, the cross was the tool Rome used to execute its criminals more than 2,000 years ago. And it wasn't just a form of execution, as if that wouldn't be enough. It was also a form of torture, a form of humiliation, where the victim usually suffocated to death from the weight of his own body. Back then, if you wore a cross around your neck, it would be like wearing a little electric chair on your neck. But let that not stop us from wearing our crosses. The fact that such an ugly instrument has become a thing of elegance and beauty is actually a testimony and a clear picture of what this day is really all about. The resurrection is the day that took things that were broken, cruel, harsh, ugly, repulsive, and made them beautiful again. The resurrection is redemption. Somebody type, the resurrection is redemption. The resurrection is transformation. The resurrection doesn't make the cross any less barbaric, smoother, or kinder, but the resurrection is so powerful and so all-encompassing that it takes a symbol of death and transforms it into a symbol of life and salvation. Maybe you haven't thought of your cross like that before. So today I want to bring you back to the reality of what happened on this weekend. This day is celebrated by more than 2 billion people across the world. And we're going to look at two important aspects of the resurrection that go hand in hand. The reality of the event and the beautiful transformation that this event brings, we're going to celebrate that today. And like those beautiful crosses we wear around our necks, the resurrection points to a harsh reality, while at the same time displaying an overwhelming beauty and transformation of grace. Without resurrection, ah, the cross would just be barbaric and meaningless. But with the resurrection, the cross is our hope and our life. So if I had to give a message title, I would call this message the evidence. Somebody type the evidence. And so for a minute, I want us to explore 
what I would like to title the great proof. Somebody type the great proof. Now, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 32, because as Jesus lived, he foretold his death and he foretold his resurrection. This was not something that should have surprised the disciples. We read about it in passages like Mark chapter 8 and looking at verses 31 and 32. It says he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So we can see here very plainly that Jesus was not at all um, vague about what was going to transpire, about what was going to take place. He was very clear. And he matter-of-factly stated and advised in advance what was to come. And his resurrection proves that all of his words were true. Somebody typed all of his words were true. And it proves that his sacrifice for our sins accomplished its work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Since Jesus rose from the grave, we know that all who believe in him will be raised from the dead as well. Paul told us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look at verses 17 through 21 in your Bibles, it reads, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. I want to share with you what a scholar by the name of John Wales said. He said, and I quote, belief in the resurrection is not an appendage to the Christian faith. It is the Christian faith. It is the proof that all Jesus did and all Jesus said was true. His words were true. And even as he spoke them, even before they came to fruition, those words were true. And so that means that Jesus claimed in John chapter 14, verse six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. Those words were true as well. And so because of the resurrection, that same claim is our great and our only hope for salvation. Somebody say Jesus is the way. The resurrection, this resurrection Sunday, we have great confidence in both the truth and the power of Jesus' resurrection. 
And you know what? It's interesting because scholars may argue over what Jesus' words meant, but there is no serious Bible scholar that denies that Jesus was a historical figure as well who profoundly impacted his immediate world. And I want to look at that. We always talk about things from a historical and a biblical perspective as well as a contemporary example. And let's do that with the cross. In fact, we should know, as many of you already do, that historical witnesses even outside of the Bible confirm that Jesus lived and was crucified. Amazingly, these historical witnesses also prove that Jesus' earliest followers were very devout and that they were devoted in their teachings and in his teachings and in his resurrection. And let's look at one example. In the Annals of Imperial Rome, written around A.D. 116, the Roman senator and historian Tacitus wrote about how Emperor Nero burned Rome in A.D. 64. Then he blamed it on to, quote, the persons commonly called Christians who were hated for their animosity. Christus, the founder of the name, was put to death by Pontius Pilate, end quote. So you're beginning to see that not only do we as believers recognize that this took place, but even those who dispute Jesus, dispute who he was, took recognition that he was followed and that he had disciples and that even as these disciples recognize that identifying with Christ could bring them death, that they still continue to follow our Lord. Other non-Christians such as Jewish historian Josephus wrote about Jesus and his followers as well. Before Tacitus wrote his history, a Roman governor, Pellini the Younger, complained in a letter about how the early Christians he persecuted and punished would, quote, sing hymns to Christ as to a God. So here's what you want to take from this. Dr. Paul Mayer calls this positive evidence from a hostile source. Positive evidence from a hostile source. And so in essence, it means that if a source admits that it is decidedly not in its favor, the fact is genuine. You understand? So if there is something that is not in your favor to admit and you still have to admit it, you know that it is genuine. And so these and other witnesses confirm that something monumental and something transformative took place in the followers of Jesus. Somebody say something monumental takes place when you follow Jesus. Something monumental took place. And this was not only acknowledged in the Bible, but historically it was acknowledged by those who witnessed what took place during this time. Even the Roman Rulers testified to the fact that the earliest followers of Jesus who knew Jesus did not consider him to be an ordinary man. Somebody say he was no ordinary man. Now, here's the next point I want us to cover. The great cost. Somebody type the great cost. And then turn your Bibles, if you would. Well, no, wait, let's wait. I want to talk to you for a moment about the great cost. And this brings to um, bear another ugly reality, but with a beautiful result. 
In the years after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples faced, as I mentioned, persecution and rejection. And in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, it tells us the apostle James was killed by Herod. The Jewish historian Josephus told us that James, the half-brother of Jesus, was stoned to death by Jewish leaders. And the second century father of Oregon wrote of Peter's crucifixion. And tradition tells us that all of the other remaining apostles except John died as martyrs also. There is convincing evidence both inside and outside the Bible that a number of the apostles died for their faith and that they all faced significant persecution for their belief in Jesus' resurrection. Now, of course, Christianity isn't the only world religion where there were martyrs. But what makes these martyrs so unique is that they died for their belief in something that they saw with their own eyes, namely Jesus' resurrection. Many people in history have died for what they believed, but it was as a result of something somebody told them. These apostles they willingly gave their lives for what they saw with their own eyes rather than to deny the resurrection. For that matter, Peter, James, and the other James and Paul knowingly and willingly died alone at the hands of various rulers. Now, would they do that for a lie that they purposely fabricated or for a historical event? that they witness with their own eyes. Somebody say the great proof. Their determined adherence to, the, to believe and proclaim the resurrection brought them no fame, no power, no status. Rather, it cost them everything. Somebody say the cost. It cost them everything. Unlike what we may be experiencing and witnessing in our day and age where there can be a certain amount of celebrity and, and fame that comes along with proclaiming the gospel and their time to proclaim the resurrection brought them destitution. Rather, it cost them everything or not. Whether it cost them their life, they were willing to tell about this resurrection. And so herein we find the beautiful aspect of this reality. What a transformation had come about in the heart of the disciples because of the certainty of the resurrection. Somebody type, the resurrection was certain. Hallelujah, it was certain. And you know what? That change of heart is evidenced by what we saw happen with those disciples. Now, you might remember that before the resurrection, Peter was afraid to even admit to a young servant girl that he knew Jesus. After the resurrection, somebody type after the resurrection, Peter proclaimed the truth about Jesus, not just to that one young girl, but to thousands of men and women. In Acts chapter four, Peter and John spoke boldly about Jesus. 
And we're told when the high priests and leaders, quote, observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. The beauty of the resurrection is that transformation power. Can anybody testify to that transformation power? Come on, just put it in the notes. The beauty of the resurrection is the transformation power. Peter and John were changed by it. Countless people throughout the ages have been transformed by it. And today, if you don't know Jesus, you can be transformed by it as well. The moment the resurrection comes into our lives, the moment we allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ is the moment that we can experience this transformation power ourselves. From then on, every other moment is transformed from being stuck and bound to the things of this earth to being freed and prepared for the things of heaven. Now, not only does the forgiving and healing power of the resurrection reach to every day and our future, but it also reaches back to every day in our past. Hallelujah. To take part in the resurrection is to believe in the cross. In that belief, Jesus takes all our sin and all our failures and makes us beautiful again. If we take part in the resurrection, even our greatest failures of the past are transformed completely and totally. At the cross and through the resurrection, God forgives, God redeems our even worst moments. And even our sins are transformed into victory. In the resurrection, your deepest regrets are transformed from unbearable shame to a proclamation of God's amazing grace, a proclamation of God's mercy and his love. In the resurrection, you and I can say God loves, God uses, God draws, God protects, and God helps who uh, those of us who've done things that we're not proud of because our failure is no longer our shame. Somebody say, my failure is no longer my shame. I'm transformed by the resurrection and my story is about how good God is even when I am not. Hallelujah. How good God is even when I am not. How powerful his love can be even when we are not loving, and how far his grace reaches when we fail. His grace will reach for us. His grace will pick us up. His grace will keep us even when we don't want to be kept. How completely he can change the way a person thinks, a person lives, and even who a person is. Can I get any witnesses to that on this morning? Somebody just testify about how good God has been and how he transformed your life. Some point to Jesus' half-brother James as one of the greatest proofs that Jesus rose from the dead. 
We read in John chapter 7, verse 5, that before the crucifixion, James didn't believe Jesus. But after the resurrection, somebody say after the resurrection, James becomes the central elder of the Christian church in Jerusalem. Just think about your brother or sister for a moment. In the book Irresistible, written by um, Andy Stanley, he asked the insightful question, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Think about that for a second. If you had a sister or a brother, what would you have to do to convince them that you were the son of God? You know your, your peers, your, your people who are close to you can be the hardest people to believe that you've been transformed. The hardest people to believe that Jesus Christ is alive and working in your life. I have talked to many of you who have talked about some of your greatest challenges is in trying to help your family to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Jesus had the same experience with his brother while he was living, while he was walking, while he was doing miracles. He still didn't believe because he grew up in the same household with him. But guess what turned the situation around? Somebody say the resurrection. After the resurrection, he understood after the resurrection, he knew that he was the way and the truth and the life. Before the crucifixion, every single one of the 12 disciples deserted Jesus and ran away. And after the resurrection, all 11 of the surviving disciples boldly proclaimed the message of his death and his resurrection everywhere they went. Something happened to them. Something happened to them that can only be explained through their firsthand witness of the resurrection. Something happened to them that can only be explained through Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Something happened in my life. Something happened in your life that can only be explained by this resurrection power. Somebody say, that's how I know he lives. Come on, type it in the comment. That's how I know he lives. That is the evidence that he lives in me. And if you have not experienced the transformative power of the resurrection in your life, today is your day. Somebody type today is your day. Come on, somebody type today is your day. If you don't know about this power that I'm talking about, if you don't have this power on the inside of you, if you have not been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have not accepted this resurrection, today is your day to enter into it. And if you've already put your faith in Jesus, today is the day to move forward in your faith to move forward in this power and to boldly declare who Jesus is in your life. For a minute, I want to talk to you about the empty tomb. Somebody type the empty tomb. Through the resurrection, the cold, hard, heartless tomb itself is also transformed into a symbol of hope. Matthew 28, 13 shows us there is little debate as to whether or not the tomb was empty. Even Jesus' detractors admitted this. Rather than just say Jesus is still there, the Jewish leaders bribed the guards and told them, you are to say 
his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. So even the detractors acknowledged that Jesus was gone. He had risen. He wasn't there. The tomb was empty. The priest could not produce proof that his body remained. So the statement seemed to provide a plausible explanation of the empty tomb. Hmm. However, over the years and over the decades, their lies unraveled. Even as the disciples faced persecution and death for their insistence that the tomb was empty and the body could not be found because Jesus rose from the dead. You couldn't stop it. You couldn't stop them from telling it. You couldn't stop them from, from sharing what God had done. It was nothing you could do to explain it. You could come up with all the lies. You could come up with anything that you wanted to refute it. But Jesus lives and he rose from that tomb. When you're looking for a place to relax or to connect with others, I would guess that maybe you might pick something like a coffee shop or maybe a living room. But I'm pretty sure you wouldn't choose a graveyard. A cemetery is the last place most of us would go to find hope. But the resurrection does more than put a nice stamp on a tombstone. The resurrection transforms its meaning, its impact, and the result of the grave itself. Now, the cold tomb is for us a symbol of hope and life. Hope is now found in the tomb because Jesus was not found in the tomb. Somebody type that. Hope is now found in the tomb because Jesus was not found in the tomb. He died for our sins. And three days later, he rose again from the dead. And that changes everything. Arthur Clarence Hall said it like this. The resurrection of Jesus changes the face of death for all his people. Death is no longer a prison, but a passage into God's presence. Easter says you can put truth in a grave but it won't stay there. Somebody put, say you could put truth in the grave, but it won't stay there. It got up again. Hallelujah. Resurrection completely transforms death. Resurrection transforms how we even look at the grave. The resurrection, without the resurrection, the death is the tragic end of life. With resurrection, Death is just the beginning of eternal life. Without the resurrection, death is where our strength finally runs out. With the resurrection, death is where our eternal glory begins. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Paul encourages us here, Therefore, if you've been raised up in Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also 
will be revealed with him and glory. And so because of this, we know that the change is complete. Somebody type the change is complete. Watchman Nee said, our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. Our old history ends with the cross. Our new history begins with the resurrection. This may be the most precious and amazing transformation of the resurrection. This may be the most powerful thing for us that we will experience because that resurrection makes us new. Will you enter into the resurrection this Sunday? If you've already done so, will you choose to live like you have? Will you choose to live every day in the freedom, joy, and hope of the resurrection? The resurrection just doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us um, one step towards self-improvement. It doesn't help us to be good. What so many people just don't understand is that that being good or being better is not the issue. Being free, being receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, it's bigger than that. It is an opportunity for us to have eternal life. And as we begin to receive that eternal life, along with that, we will begin to receive everything that God has for us. The word said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so we get that opportunity when we receive salvation. But because we are human, sometimes we have resistance. Sometimes we have hesitation. And we don't recognize that just being human alone in and of itself, that leads to being broken. It leads to being divided. We have wonderful opportunities for nobility and to do great things, but we also have wonderful opportunities to do things that are wrong, to have depravity and to have selfishness and to have greed and to have things that separate us from God. And so because of that, he has provided a way to bring us back to him. We are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of this transformation. And it can only be found in the resurrection. Some would say, well, if God wants to be separate from me, then that's fine. I'll just be separate. But what we do not understand is that God desires to be with us. And he has provided a way as we accept it, as we accept Jesus Christ. We fail to understand that we separate ourselves. Our the crucifixion and the resurrection are God's work to close the gap for us. And God loves us so much that he made a way despite our inherited weaknesses, despite our sin and despite how we are as a humanity. It would kind of be like if I threw a big gala and I decided that I was going to have people come and they would be invited. And so I came to you and I said, you know what? I'm getting ready to have a huge party. It's going to be at this wonderful mansion. It's going to be amazing. We're going to have wonderful music or d'oeuvres, everything. You are invited. And you say, oh, that's wonderful. I would love to come to your party. And I say, but you, in order to get in, you have to have the invitation. And you say, 
Well, if I have to have an invitation, I'm not coming to your party. What do you mean? I just gave you the invitation. That's how you get in. You are invited to the party. And when Jesus does this, he is inviting everyone. He's invited everyone. We talked about for several months about the banquet and how when God is coming for us, he's coming for the lost and how he invites everyone and how we talked about the parables about how some of us may be selective and who we pick and who we choose and who we think is fit and who should come for God. Everyone is invited, but you have to bring your invitation. And, and I, that invitation is here in the resurrection. He's extended the invitation of the resurrection to anyone who will simply put their faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't make it hard for us. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul said that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, I know that there are people and there's, there's doctrine that will make it a lot harder, but Romans chapter 10, verse 9 is telling us that if we do this, we are saved. If you don't want him on this earth, he is not going to force you to be with him forever in heaven. If you don't want to accept his invitation, he won't force you to take it. Somebody type that. If you don't want to accept the invitation, he won't force you to take it. But if you want to accept the invitation this morning, if you want to accept the invitation to come to Christ, to accept him as your Lord and your Savior, you are invited to the party. Somebody say, you are invited. You are invited. And understand, this again is not the call for you to be better. This is not, I'll come to Christ after I get it all together. Once I get it under control, the invitation is come and come as you are. Come to the cross and die to your control. Come to the cross and die to the substitutes for God that you currently have in your life. Come to the cross and die to your sin that lingers around you and takes the breath from you. To take this invitation is to lay down your pride and lay down your, I can get this done by myself and lay down your weakness of your humanity and to be transformed by this resurrection. Let the righteousness of Jesus make you right. Look to the goodness of God to make you good. Look to the forgiveness of the cross to make you whole. Let the power of the resurrection make you free. Somebody type that. Let the power of the resurrection make you free. You know what? He wants you to be forgiven. And as we close on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to remind you of where we began. The cross that some of us wear around our necks and some of us wear on our wrists, these symbols that remind us of God's heart. It is to take that which is coarse and dark and broken and to resurrect it into something beautiful. So I want to give you an opportunity to join in on the resurrection right now. 
It's not because I want you to do it so that we can say that we had a whole lot of people that did that today. No, I want you to experience. I hope that you will experience what it means to have your most ugly moments transformed into a story of something good. To have what you were ashamed of and what were you embarrassed about and the things that you thought that no good could come of it. Like we would think no good could come of a cross. But then to have it transformed through this resurrection power by God's forgiveness and love and grace. And that change begins with a prayer. But I want you to know it doesn't end there. In fact, praying this prayer from your heart means that you want to live in the resurrection for the rest of your life and all eternity. It means that you will ask Jesus to forgive your sins and to guide your life. When you make this decision through this prayer and you recognize that this is something that you are doing today, this will be the prayer that changes everything. Whether you feel it or not, whether you see something changing immediately or not, you will be forgiven and you will be a child of God. But it's not the end. It's the beginning of a lifelong transformation. Somebody testify, it's a lifelong transformation. It's not you just give your life to Christ and boom, everything's different. It's a lifelong transformation where the resurrection works deeper and deeper into your heart as it comes out through your life. Whether you pray this for the first time right now, or if you've given your life to Jesus years ago, I want to challenge you to come back next week as we continue this Easter challenge for the next 30 days. And I want to challenge you to join us and to take the next step in this journey. So if this is a journey that you want to begin, if you want to accept God's invitation, I want you to pray this resurrection prayer with me right now. Dear God, I admit that I have done some things that I'm not proud of. And I ask for forgiveness of my sin. Thank you that Jesus paid the price already for me, that I don't have to dwell in my sin. I don't have to remain in my sin. I don't have to remain separated from you, Father God. I put my faith in Jesus on this morning. And I put my faith right now towards the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I believe with everything that is in me that he not only died for my sins, but that he rose again. So I invite Jesus into my heart on this morning. And I am ready to take part in this resurrection I am ready to take part in allowing those things that are behind to be behind and to, 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 to die to sin and to die to my former way of living. And I want the resurrection power to come into my life right now so that I can live again for you, Christ. Fill me right now with your spirit right where I'm at. Send your spirit into my homes and your spirit, into my living room, send your spirit into my hospital room, send your spirit into my car, send your spirit, Father God, because I know that your spirit can go anywhere. Send your spirit to me right now. 
as I give my life to you. Thank you, Jesus. I receive you right now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to text Jesus to 330-403-8088. Go ahead. Text Jesus to 330-403-8088. We want to celebrate with you. The angels in heaven are rejoicing right now in you giving your life to Christ. And we want to rejoice with you as well. So please let us know. Let us know in the comments and let us know in the text. Now let us begin to celebrate a little bit more. We're going to bring our offerings to the Lord. We're going to bring our tithes to the Lord. And we're going to take the Lord's communion together as we continue our celebration on this Resurrection Sunday. So don't go anywhere. You stay tuned. And we're going to continue to enjoy this powerful resurrection together. <laughs> 